Welcome to Working Mom Hour. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Working Mom Hour. I'm Erica. And I'm Madeline. We're working moms, business partners, and friends with kids at different ages and stages. We know moms tend to get more done in an hour than the average human, yet are often misunderstood and underappreciated in the workplace. We are here to shine a light on the working mom experience to help ourselves and others step into and advocate for the superpower. We are not experts. We're two women who have been there and are still there, kids, clients, and all. Join us as we cultivate more joy in working motherhood at the corner of calm and chaos. Our guest today believes career and life don't live in separate boxes. As a coach for mid-career parents, Becca Carnahan has helped hundreds of parents land fulfilling jobs they love without giving up the flexibility they need. Becca's expertise spans over a 14-year career at Harvard Business School in career coaching and professional development. You may have seen her on the Today Show, HuffPost, NPR, Fairy Godboss, Thrive Global, or Vox. Becca is also an author and host of the When Mommy Grows Up podcast, which is a motherhood and career podcast for moms who need help defining what success looks like to them as mid-career professionals and parents, along with the support they need to go after it. This is going to be a fun one. Let's get into our chat with Becca. Hi, Becca. Welcome to Working Mom Hour. Hi, it's great to be here with all of you. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And we're really looking forward to this conversation with you because so many women in our network find themselves or have found themselves at a crossroads, whether they've sort of like made it to the top of their career and realize executive life isn't conducive to family life, or maybe they're in middle management and wanting to elevate, but fearful of what that means for their home life. Or maybe Mm -hmm. someone's taken a career pause and considering options when it comes to getting back into the workforce. And I know you are an expert in these moments. And I know we've heard that like more than half of women have either left their job or considered leaving their job due to lack of flexibility. So this is going to be a meaningful conversation. Let's just start with this idea of the motherhood identity shift. What is it? How do you see it playing out in working moms specifically? Yeah. And as soon as I start talking about this, moms everywhere are going to be like nodding their head being like, yep, yes. that happens, yes. that happens. <laughs> even when you just think about the term motherhood identity shift, and it's totally. exactly that, right? When we become moms, our identity shifts. We have this new identity that we're layering on to our existing lives as spouses, our partners, as daughters, as community members, professionals. There's so many other identities that we have. And then you pop mom onto it and it's a biggie. There's so many different responsibilities and things that you care about as you're becoming a mom. So how does that affect all other parts of your life? When you're thinking about how your needs have changed, how your values might have shifted, how your goals might be evolving. So many little things that turn into big things as you're thinking about the shift in your identity as a mom. Yeah. I remember it being positive and a challenge when that happened. Like I remember being like, oh, I'm part of this special group that gets it now, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you immediately connect with like a whole other group 
of women, but then you're kind of managing like, how do I proceed with my life with this whole new identity? Exactly. I remember feeling that exact same way too. I'm so yeah. excited to be part of the motherhood community and to be able to talk with my friends about what it was like to be a mom. And uh, at the same time that I'd sit back in my chair at home and be like, oh, there's so many other thoughts and feelings that are running through my brain right now. So the community aspect, amazing. Sitting by yourself was a whole other <laughs> story. Of so much lonely. Yeah. Yes. That you're trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, Mads. Lonely is the right word. In your business, you work with parents. What differences, I'm curious, do you see in working with moms versus dads or even default parents versus non-default parents? Yeah. I'll tell you, when I started my business, I really did focus on moms. And I would say that in my marketing is that it was around moms and thinking about moms at different inflection points of their careers. And then there was dads that kind of kept knocking. They're like, hey, mm. do you work with dads too? And I was like, I thought about it. I was like, well, yes, of, of course I do. The whole point of working with moms originally was thinking about these inflection points that we're navigating and how to have more flexibility and fulfillment in your career. But if I really wanted that for the moms who, as we know, had tend to be more the default parents, have not had as many opportunities in the workforce, have their male counterparts, if that's what I was trying to help, if we could have more equal partnerships at home mm -hmm. and at work, then it made complete sense for me to thinking about shifting my language to parents. And when there was more dads that were coming saying, yes, I also want flexibility in my work. I also want to be home to get my kids off the bus or to be home for dinner. Like, good, that's what we're going for, for parents of both sexes to be equally in it uh, together. Are their challenges different or are they having to like talk about things differently at work when they're advocating for that flexibility? Yes. I wish I could sit here and tell you like, nope, it's exactly the same. Everyone has the exact same problems and, and conversations. But uh, the reality is I do often hear from the dads that I work with, the, they're feeling a lot of the financial pressure and thinking about mm. My kids were growing up, they're getting ready to go to college, or they're not even getting ready to go to college, it's like 10 years away, but they're thinking about it. Or the activities are getting more expensive. And that's where the pressure that they're putting on themselves to think mm -hmm. about how do I make this shift, but uh, I need to do it in a way that meets my family's financial goals. It's just a big conversation I often hear from them. Not that I don't hear it from the moms, but the moms are most often coming and saying, let's use an example, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I really loved that experience of having my mom be around. I want to be around for my kids. So they're coming mm -hmm. in with some different questions, I guess, but they still both want flexibility and fulfillment mm -hmm. and to be able to pay their bills. But mm -hmm. outwardly, what they're saying are some, some different starting points. And then in terms of how they're advocating for themselves, yeah, it is different. I think some uh, where there's the motherhood penalty and the dad bonus. And we, we often hear that right. in, in yeah. terms of, how it plays out in the workforce. But I think I am starting to hear from the dads too, that just more willing to, to ask for that flexibility to be home when their kids are home. And I'm really glad that they're willing to have that conversation. Yeah. And the motherhood penalty and the dad bonus, will you define that for our listeners who might not be aware of it? Yeah. yeah. So if you look at some statistics around pay dads in the past, they're, once they started a family, I'm like, oh, well, he might need more money to support the family. So they might be getting a raise as part of that process of starting mm. a family. 
Whereas moms, and this isn't always, it's not, I want to paint this with too broad of a brush, but there has been studies on this and they've looked at, look at salaries and how they compare. And then with moms who are taking a maternity leave and then potentially a career pause, not always, even just taking a maternity leave to take care of their bodies, take care of their newborn, there's sometimes a penalty in saying, okay, well, you've been away from work, so you're not going to be promoted. And then you're not going to get a raise. And then that just feeds on itself over time. If you don't yeah. have that, the raises aren't coming and the money isn't increasing. So it's, it's around the money piece of it, but you see it play out, unfortunately. Right. And we've talked about it on here too, that sometimes managers and bosses will remove responsibilities and remove opportunities for growth because they feel like they're doing a mom or new mom a favor by taking yeah. things off of their plate. And that's perceived as a demotion. And I'm all for companies understanding what parents need and asking, but I think that's the key is asking what's a parent's need? How can we be most supportive of you in your career and supportive of you as, as a parent, instead of assuming that you need to take responsibilities off their plate yeah, and instead figure out the right path for individual people and have that conversation be a two-way conversation. Yeah. And I think what struck me about the motherhood penalty, and I don't actually know if I've ever heard it called the fatherhood bonus. I just remember we chatted about the statistics, like the assumption that a woman is leaving a meeting saying, I'm going to get my kids. You have one view of it. Like, okay, she can't take on extra work. And then if a man is saying the same thing, I'm going to go get my kids. It's like, oh, how sweet. Right. What a good yes. dad. Gold yeah. Star. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I want to dig up what those statistics are because I found it interesting. Women, their pay tends to drop. I think it's like up to 30% or something when they have kids. And then men, their pay tends to elevate. Like they're more seasoned. They've lived a life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're coming right after the Super Bowl. So I remember seeing the, the Binky Dad commercial that happened in the Super Bowl where the dad was getting like an actual like parade of people because he was going home and getting the binky that they left at home. And that's what we're talking about is dad's getting a lot of the outward credit and praise for doing the things that we do as parents. And I think that that does play out at work too. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to take us down a conversation about Rihanna, but I'm not. You can go for it. It's been on my mind. I'm seeing a lot of commentary as probably everybody is 24 hours post just around her doing her job postpartum and pregnant and the level of criticism she got. Like the entire conversation seems to be around how she didn't do her very best because of those elements, because she's postpartum, because she was pregnant. I even saw one gentleman in one of these business groups and in comment that if she knew she couldn't do her job at the level her audience expected her to do it, she should have waited until after she had the baby. And it's just sitting with me in such a way right now. But I think it does lend into this conversation, the difference that when we see a man do their job, right? Like we watched Patrick Mahomes play injured and we were like, amazing. He wasn't playing at 110% either, but he got MVP and they barely won that game, right? Like that was not anything spectacular that we saw. And then we see her get up. I also don't want to say that, you know, Rihanna's injured or disabled for having a child, but kind of are. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she is doing two, you're right. She's doing two amazing things at the exact same time. She's growing a human while she's elevated, hanging in the air, singing, 
you know, songs is the only billionaire to hit that stage. And I just was floored by the general reaction. And I saw women doing it too, but really it was sort of like the men and how they were talking about her doing her job as a mom. So anyway, I feel much better getting that off my chest. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad you did. I think that's a really great comparison, a great reflection point for all of us to think about how are we reacting to two people who their, their bodies were, are reacting in different ways and they're getting up there and doing their job. And how do we think about talking about one versus talking about another? And from, from my two cents, Brianna was amazing. She was up so high. <laughs> I was getting dizzy just looking at her. And yes. gosh, she promoted her beauty product. Mm-hmm. The searches went like through the roof. We saw, we saw the stats after it. So I think she did mm, an amazing job mm-hmm. doing exactly what she does best. Good for her. I definitely, as I was watching it, felt myself like, what's going to happen next? Is she going to change outfits? Like, what's going to happen? And then I also felt in myself be like, but this is amazing. She's doing amazing. Is she pregnant? I was having all of the reactions. I haven't studied all of the commentary, so I'm finding what you're saying, Erica, very interesting. But I did feel that she was powerful in her being enough. Yes. Like in what she did in being enough. And it was like the subtle swag of that. Yes. I found very powerful. Yes. It really was amazing to see her represent in such a confident way, moms. Like, this is my job. Mm-hmm. I don't need the bells and whistles that you guys are expecting out of me yes. now. Like, I created a child. I am creating yes. another one. And this is my talent. And I'm dancing and singing at the Super Bowl. Yeah. In- incredible. Yes. Incredible. Yes. yes. I think yes. it was so freeing, too. I had a, a call with my group coaching program the day after. And as usual, like we get emotional, we're talking about parenthood and careers and all of that. But there was something freeing too about seeing Rihanna didn't change her outfit 16 times uh, on the stage. She didn't have special guests, but she went up there, she did an amazing job. And she thought about what her key priorities were right now. She stayed true to what she wanted to do, what she wanted to put out there and owned it. And to hear the other moms who were in the group yesterday talking about you know what, this is actually what I really want. Not that they want to go be Rihanna, but this is what actually what I really want. I want, these are the key criteria for this next chapter of my career and what I'm looking to do next. And I don't need to apologize for it. I don't need to explain it to anyone. I just need yeah. to really own it and sit in it and define success for myself. In my own so way. So if Rihanna yeah, can give like that. that message through a really spectacular performance, in my opinion, was really beautiful and awesome seeing everything that was happening out there, if she can give that message, I hope that she hears that from moms too, as much as she heard maybe some of the other pushback that happened. I think anything in life is when you set your expectations and especially with celebrities that you scratch the surface of. So you've known them, you've grown up with them, and then they perform and they evolve and they change. And then sometimes people have a really hard time adapting to that too. And I think because Rihanna of like her mystery and the fact she hasn't been super, you know, not releasing new music and people get this like nostalgia bug where their brain gets so warped where they're like, I'm expecting to see the same Rihanna when she goes out there. And it's just a different type of power has emerged. So what she was giving off in the past no longer exists. And that's a beautiful thing. So it doesn't mean that she wasn't doing her best. It means that she was stepping into like a different type of strength and power, which was really cool. 
yes. without having to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that. like to a lot of the criticism just comes from a lot of people expecting to see the same type of act come out again and again and again, but that's not how humans work at all. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We're not yeah. the same women today who we were when we started our careers years mm-hmm. ago, fresh out of school with goals and dreams and no kids. Yeah. So to that point, Becca, how do you know it's time for a change and how do you gain clarity around what's next? Mm-hmm. And these are such good points that you're all making. Marla kind of jumping off this like new idea of, uh, of who you are and mm-hmm. your point about we're not the same as we were. And the, the analogy I always like to use is that if we wouldn't let the 18-year-old version of ourselves pick the jeans that we're going to wear the rest of our lives, are we really going to give the power to that 18-year-old self to choose the career direction that we're going to have the rest of us? Gosh, I wouldn't let my 18-year-old self decide what kind of ice cream to eat. Like, mm-hmm. she, we, you were great when you were teenagers, but you've evolved since then. So yeah, I think it's really about taking inventory of what has changed in your life. Mm-hmm. What are your needs right now? How have your goals shifted? And if you're feeling that and we, we get this like this gut instinct that happens, right? When you're like, you're just like, you're not as excited to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. Is it because your commute's really long or is it because you're not doing the work that feels aligned anymore? Or you're feeling that itch to return back to the paid workforce. What is that? And really sitting with it, understanding what these feelings are and acknowledging them and then taking inventory of what you really need for this next chapter. And I always like to think about it in that terms too. Like you're not making decisions for the rest of your life because as much as I wouldn't want 18 year old me to make the decisions for the rest of my life, I also don't want 37 year old me to make the decisions for 50 year old Becca down the line Mm -hmm. because at each life stage, our needs have changed. Our life has changed. The world around us has changed and we need to evolve with it. I agree with everything you're saying. And I love the idea of just sort of sitting with where you are and like what your needs are at that moment. I also think 18-year-old self, if that's who decided our career path, also was influenced by parents, teachers, whoever, as we all are in every phase of our life. And so starting to like shed the layers of expectations of what you should be doing or like, I've always been really good at math. I should keep being an accountant. I should go back to be an accountant. But what really shed the shoulds and think about like what really lights you up and sort of go for it, even though it's scary. So I love the idea Mm -hmm. of tuning into self, Becca. And I I call it the should storm and like popping up your umbrella (laughs) during a should storm because we we, we should all over ourselves about Um, I should be doing this. Oh, we're getting back to Rihanna. I love it. Um, (laughs) I love it. It's all tying together, but it really is like we should all the time. I should be doing this in my career. I should be focusing on this. I should be home with my kids. I should be climbing the ladder. Who is telling us that we should be doing this? And we, mm-hmm. as we are coming into our own as as people as adults, like we don't need to be shoulding. Uh, mm-hmm. We think about from the opposite of like thinking about could. What could I be doing next? What do I want to be doing next? What do the people in my life, how do I best want to support them? So when we can take should out of our vocabulary, I like to take should and just, because you're not just a mom, you're not just doing this. You take should and just off the table, it's very freeing. What's coming up for me is a young woman in the workforce. I was very focused on results and data and facts because I felt like that was how I could break through without the 
inherent buy-in of whoever I was talking to because I'm young or a woman or blonde or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and how for so long I was focused on the external, the validation, the winning, the results, whatever it was. And so to enter a phase of life where you are going based on your intuition and your own feeling is so completely different than how many of us were conditioned. It's almost just like a rebirth in every phase and it is just wild. So if anyone listening is feeling like I don't even know who I am or what I want or how to feel in my body or my mind or how to follow my intuition other than knowing my child needs an apple and not a grape or what, you know, whatever it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we are all there and have been there. It's very real. It's a really big, important point that a lot of the the women that I work with, and I will say the dads too, the women women and men come to this, like, I know I've tapped into this idea of like, something isn't right. Mm -hmm. I need to like look around and figure out what it is. Stuck. And then when yeah. you're feeling stuck, that's the word they use. So what I like to do is put structure around it. I'm like, okay, you know that you've acknowledged this feeling of feeling stuck. You're trying to understand what some of your needs are. How can we then put some structure around this thought process? Just like if many of them are very type A, high achievers. Um, they like to have some structure that took them through school and took them through a certain mm-hmm. stage of their career. Let's put some structure around this too. Let's put a framework around how we're going to uncover what your passion areas are right now how to think about what skills you want to use and then who's going to pay you to do those things. What's the environment that's the right fit for you? We're not going to throw all those questions out there at once because otherwise it just gets really, really jumbly. Instead, let's break it down into into smaller steps and scaffold it a bit so that Mm. you feel like you're making progress and you are making progress. You're you're doing it in a way that is almost aligned with how you've made progress in the past, but doing it for a very different question. Mm -hmm. So speaking of trying to gain some momentum. Mm -hmm. I know the pandemic in my mind was a gift to so many who found the courage to make a change because chaos was happening all around us. It almost took the spotlight off of any individual changes. Mm -hmm. But what are you seeing today that women believe are the main hurdles stopping them from making a career transition? Yeah. One of the big things I hear from people is that they think it's too late. Mm. They've already fully committed Mm. themselves. to Totally. And that's what they're going to do. Hot committed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So untrue. Yeah. Like we are not halfway through our lives. You have so many more options ahead of you, but that's, that's but yes. like, the mental, mental block around like it's too late or it's kind of closely tied. If I were to make a change, I would have to go back to school. Yep. And that's also not true. I'm going to debunk right. that myth right now because you have so many transferable skills and experiences that you can bring to this next stage of your career, whether it's something entrepreneurial or going to work for another company or finding contract work, project work. There's so many different ways to think about work right now and to think about your skills. So you don't need to go back to school. It's not too late. A third one I think is people will often say, and it's, it's tied together. I can't make less money. I'm worried about making less money if I make a change. Right. I'll have to mm-hmm. take a step back. That's mental block right there too. I'd have to mm-hmm. take a step back. Also not true. And yes, if you want to go back and be a surgeon right now, and you work in marketing, yeah, you can need to go back to school. <laughs> right. And right, you will need to maybe take a step back at, at a certain point. However, if you're looking to make more of an incremental change or move to an industry or a function that is one or two ticks over, that's going to be so much more fulfilling to you, that's going to offer you more flexibility. Mm-hmm. You don't need to start from scratch. You're starting from experience. So you need to own that story and be able to explain it to others why your past experience is exactly the bridge that's going to help you be successful in this new role. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you sit down and understand how do you want to spend your days painting the bigger picture versus the comparison game with your past self almost? Oh, yeah. What you want is yeah. different. The way you want to live your life is different. The path to get there is going to be very different. It is. Yeah. I was actually just walking through this with someone yesterday. We walked through, but she didn't want to make the same mistakes that she had made before that she felt were mistakes. Kind of burning out and then taking a break mm-hmm. and then burning out and taking a break, mm-hmm. uh, which I think yeah. a lot of us can relate to that. So what we did is we actually just walked through, let's pie in the sky, this like ideal picture. What do you want your day to look like? Mm-hmm. like? What time do you get up in the morning? What does your morning look like? How do you feel when you're heading out into work? Let's not rush to what's the job function? What's the company? Let's paint the picture of what you want your day to look like. And oftentimes when people do this, mm-hmm. what we realize is they're not asking for too much. And I think mm-hmm. that's another doubt that people have, moms especially, Oh, I'm asking for way too much to be able to have dinner with my family at 530. Yes. I'm asking way too much to want to be able to go to my kids' soccer games and actually enjoy my work. But when mm-hmm. they break it down into what they're looking to do, like, okay, you just listed out eight hours of work time mm-hmm. and you've, you've asked to be able to be home at five o'clock, maybe it's 3.30 and then you're working a little bit more at night. However, it breaks down. I never find that any of the moms that I'm working with are actually asking more than is really very, very reasonable, which is also very freeing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how can your employer support that? Because they can't read minds. And I think so often they may say yes to some of those things that you feel like are demands, but really it's just a different way to work and and live your life that probably will not affect anyone. Exactly. Exactly. And we we tell our kids all the time to use their words, right? Especially toddlers. Yeah. Use your words because I don't understand what you're saying. Use your words, working moms. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I actually, I talk about that all the time. It's like, yeah, we actually have to use our words. I have to remind myself and I use that phrase. No one's going to read your mind. If you're upset or burnt out, you have to use your words and figure out what it is that you want, what you're asking for, because no one can say yes to the thing that you're asking for unless you ask for it. Totally. Do you have any specific ways or tips for coaching people through that initial fear of making a change? I also think we we know a lot of people who are in an, a job now and are paralyzed yes. about making a change for whatever reason. They're the breadwinner. They have been in this job for 10 years. They have kids. They're worried about what, you know, whether they'll find something similar, but are just sort of like paralysis by analysis. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's kind of like this whole picture of like worry is like a rocking chair. You're just you're continuing to like worry about it. You're just like sitting there to do something to do, but you're not actually moving forward. So if your brain's already working to this idea of I want to make a change, why don't we just put some process and structure on exploring what it could look like instead of worrying about it? You're already thinking about mm. it. So let's just think about it in a productive way. So that's where that structure comes in. What could that look like? Like if you're putting structure against that, what is an example of what that could look like? Yep. I love a good structure. I love a good framework. So I break it down <laughs> into, into four steps. It helps my brain to process. So the first part of it is around uncovering your career sweet spot. So I think about that as the intersection of your passions, your skills, and who could potentially pay you to do that. Mm-hmm. So if I was to break that down even further. It's like um, the icky so, guy. Is that like the icky guy? Have you heard uh, of that? It's very similar. Very similar yeah. to the icky yes, guy. Yes. yes. Okay. So it's a little bit more streamlined, but it's the same Yes. So if we think about it from that perspective, it's finding that sweet spot, that that middle ground. Even just that helps people to put some structure around their ideas. I'm like, all right, let me sit down and think about the things that I really enjoy. Let me sit down and think about the skills that people have told me I'm really good at and skills that I like to use. 
or industries that I've worked in before or types of companies that I've served or audiences that I know well. When you start to brainstorm those ideas on paper, that can be really fun too. And the one that can be hardest for people is passions because yeah. we're sitting here saying like, okay, I don't know if I'm passionate about anything. I'm passionate about my kids going to bed on time. I'm passionate about <laughs> making sure that everyone's like wearing socks and shoes when they go out the door, but I'm really busy. So what are, what are my passion areas? And I think this is a really fun exercise and a really easy one for any of the moms who are listening out there. Just take a moment and think about what activities you like to do with your kids, not because they're having fun, but because you are enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So for example, your kids might really love playing soccer and you're like, fine, I'll go play soccer with you, but I'd rather go build Legos <laughs> with you instead. Mm -hmm. I'm having more fun doing that. So then when you identify those things that you like doing with your kids because you're having fun, maybe you don't have time for your own hobbies right now, but you like this, these certain aspects. What is it about that activity that is lighting you up? So playing Legos with your kids, maybe for you, you're really creative and you like to kind of like free build. And the creativity piece of it is a, a passion area for you. Or maybe when you play Legos with your kids, that's the time when they're actually sitting quietly and they're willing to kind of open up and talk with you because you've, you've created that environment. So deep, meaningful relationships, deep conversations are more of a passion area for you. There's so many different ways that even just building Legos might help you uncover the things that you care about the most and the environments that you want to be a part of, the mm -hmm. Just the areas that you want to explore more as as an individual. So I like that exercise just to, to think that. about it in a slightly different way. Yeah. How often as you're taking parents through this exercise and then into the next steps, do folks recognize they can do it themselves? Like they don't have to go work for someone. Like this ideal day, mm, they could own yeah. it entirely if they were their own boss. Like mm -hmm. how many times does that happen for you? Oh yeah, I'd say probably about a third of the people that I'm working with over this Good. past year have decided that it's something entrepreneurial is the right hmm. is the right fit for them. So it's not everybody. That sounds like a lot. That does yeah. feel like a lot. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Entrepreneurship yeah. is not for everyone, but there is this yeah. set of people that are like, yeah, you know what? And that's actually the next step of the process is the career criteria. So we've uncovered the career sweet spot. We start to get some ideas and hypotheses around where this intersection could be. And then we do the career criteria of figuring out what are your needs right now. Let's, let's like actually figure out from a financial perspective, but also what does flexibility actually look like to you? Yeah. What are mm -hmm. your key motivators? When we break that out into criteria, then we can start to see like, ooh, does that actually align more with something entrepreneurial? Or does it align better with a, a salaried position? And from that, then we can start exploring, that's the third stage of it, exploring more strategically because you have more ideas and a couple different hypotheses that you're willing to and want to test out with some research, with some really good conversations. And then you can pitch yourself. That's the last part. How do you pitch yourself, whether it's to clients or to a company? You have all this great data now that you can pitch yourself so well at the end. Hmm. So I would have assumed the time commitment was a hurdle for women to like, I don't have time to take yeah. this on in addition to the full-time job that I'm working and the young kids that I'm caring yeah. for. But what is the realistic time commitment around planning and executing a career transition? Yeah. I should have used, I should have actually said that earlier as one of the objections. Like I don't have time to do this because yeah. it would have been mine. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's it's a big one. Um, 
of fun. Um, what I tell people for time commitment is that you could do this just by thinking about it a lot or like scrolling job boards for hours and hours and hours, because you probably already are doing some of that work, <laughs> or you could just really use that time very productively. So even a couple hours a week can make a huge difference if it's really structured time. So whether that is working with a career coach and talking through these issues and kind of thinking about your plan or how I set it up is with these exercises, things like we just did, you like to do with your kids, breaking it into, into like little 15 minute videos where it's like, okay, I have 15 minutes. I can listen to something and then I can go from, go for my walk and think about it. Um, we can break it into some smaller chunks. I honestly believe that you can make so much progress towards figuring out what you want to do and the path to go get there with a couple hours a week that might ramp up when you're starting to do more networking, having more conversations. But on that early stage of figuring it out, you can break it into these small chunks. And it's really, really doable. People think do it in the car. They do it when they're working out. Mm -hmm. They kind of multitask it a little bit. And then take 15 minutes to really sit and just really focus without a million tabs open. Focus on crafting your criteria or sending out four outreach emails that you're sending. And then you're done. Then you can kind of just walk away from it and go play Wordle, whatever it is you want to do with <laughs> or whatever. Uh, there's, we can squeeze it in. I'd be really curious to ask the people considering a change, but worrying about the time, maybe to encourage them to start to shed some awareness on how often they're thinking about it, mm -hmm. yeah. writing it down throughout the day or the week when you're spending sort of mental energy and like the mental load of mm -hmm. wanting a change, because yeah. even just having an awareness around the thought patterns and processes, you might find that you're thinking about it 15 times a day. And if that's the case, then that's a lot of wasted time and energy without moving forward in some sort of structured way like you're proposing. So yeah. um, I think just step one being an awareness if they're having some like head trash around whether they can dedicate the time. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that's such an easy thing to do too. If you just have your phone with you and you're like, like oh yeah, I was thinking about it again or I spent my entire 30 minute commute Right. not wanting to go to my job and not really sure why. And I was thinking about it and ruminating over it the whole time, capturing that, being aware of it, then being able to move forward from there. I think it's a great suggestion. That's totally. Okay. Something on a lot of women's minds is how to address gaps or career pauses in a resume or on your LinkedIn. And I think it is becoming more normal with the pandemic, like everyone's sort of, and also I think normalizing the fact that maybe just under half of career women take some sort of pause, mm -hmm. but how might someone address some of those gaps or, you know, I'm a stay at home mom for four years and trying to get back into the workforce. Yeah. When I hear people say that they have a resume gap and they're worried about their resume gap, my response to it always is you don't have a gap. And then they look at me like, but, but I do, I have this four years. When you really ask someone, okay, what were you doing during those four years? You weren't right. doing nothing. You were doing a lot. And whether that is paid or unpaid work, you were contributing in a big way to society. You have a lot of accomplishments that you can share from this time. So what I encourage people to do is think about if they have volunteer work that goes on the resume especially as it's related to what they want to do next. I've had people say, okay, I have this big gap. I have an eight-year gap and I want, I've identified that I really want to go work in, in education. Like, okay, well, let's think about your past eight years. 
you were the PTA president, <laughs> you were volunteering in, in the classroom, you were doing all these things with your, with your kids and the, the community, that's going on the resume because it's related to what you wanna do next. And even if it's not education, let's say it's going back into marketing. Okay, how did you, how did you help in your community to market the, the soccer program? is happening. I, I know for a fact that all of the, the moms out there or dads who took a, a career break, they were doing other unpaid work that is incredibly valuable and has skills that are related to their next step. So let's put it on there. Let's own it and include that as part of your, your pitch as to how you add value. Yeah. I think it's hard sometimes to recognize the skills that you've gained volunteering or parenting or throughout your life and career and how they transfer. Is there a process that you go through or take someone through to identify and highlight those transferable skills? Yeah, because usually people will start with a list of like four. They'll say, right. I don't know, I'm, I'm good at planning or I'm good at communication. And we just try to dig it a level deeper. So what actually goes into planning that event that you plan? Okay, well, I had to assess different potential vendors. Okay, vendor management and sourcing is actually a deeper level, level of skill set that you have. I had to communicate or send out the, create the invitation and send it out to the community. Okay, so you have some skills with email marketing and copywriting. So when you pull it out, the, pull out the specifics behind this big skill that you think you're, you're good at this one skill, you're actually good at a lot of other skills that attach back to it. Okay. And for someone who's just starting their search, what are your go-to strategies for the actual search? Yeah. So once you've figured out what it is that you want to do, a big mistake, people oftentimes will just like hop right to a job board and say, mm -hmm. I'm just going to scroll, I'm going to scroll and I'm going to find something. I tend to just skip that strategy. We're not going to do that. You need to first figure out what your clear target is around yeah. the type of role that you want, the type of companies. And one of the first steps once we have more of that clarity is to create a target list. And by that, I mean your top 10 to 15 companies. If you are job searching, you're not looking to do something entrepreneurial. You're really thinking about going into a, a salaried role, project-based role, contract-based role. So with your list of your target companies that will have some things in common, maybe they're in the same industry, um, perhaps location-based, size of company, lots of different factors that you have figured out based on your criteria that these companies could be a good match. Then once you have that, li that list of companies, absolutely set up some alerts to see when those companies are posting new jobs, but don't limit yourself as to what jobs happen to be posted right now. Identify people within those companies, within the functional areas that you want to work and get the way to land, figure out what are those functional areas? What are those job titles that you could be looking for? And have some conversations. Reach out to your existing network, reach out to people that you haven't met before, learn more about their business, their career path, the pain points that they're experiencing within their business or functional area. And with those relationships that you're building, then you're gonna to get to be able to be front of mind for people when new positions are opening up. But you'll also have so much more information about how you can pitch yourself because you're going to have more good data about what some of these pain points are. So I do think there's value in job boards and setting some alerts for yourself from a targeted list of, of companies or functional areas or titles, but don't leave it just to that. I think taking a really proactive approach with your target list is always going to yield better results. 
And are there specific questions that someone can ask as they're making these connections or they get to this stage where they're interviewing directly with a potential employer to make sure it's a culture fit for them and there will be space for flexibility? Yeah, I love that. What a lot of people will say is they'll ask the question, what's the culture like here? And that's when I do a little timeout, say, okay, what information are you really going to get from what's the culture like here? Oftentimes they'll say, we work really hard. We care about each other. Okay. We want a little bit more. So when you look at your specific criteria around what flexibility actually looks like to you, what does good culture actually mean to you, then you can ask more specific questions. One of my favorites is when you're looking at a company website and they say that one of their values is being family friendly, for example. A question you might ask in your conversations is, I saw that family first or family friendly was a key value of your company. That really resonated with me. How do you see that playing out with the senior what leadership? What does that mean? Yeah. What yeah, it, yeah, yeah right, what does it look right. like in practice? How have you experienced that as a member of the team? It's be specific. specific. Be <laughs> yes. Specific. Be specific. The more specific you can be, the better answers you're going to get, the more good data that you're going to have to make your best decisions about whether this company is the right match for you. I'm not saying it's a bad company or a good company, whether mm-hmm. it's the right fit for you and what your needs are. Hmm. Yeah. Knowing in those moments that you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you, don't feel like you're going to be turned down because you're asking these questions. I don't know if I should say frustrating or sad because I don't think either of those are, are the word I'm looking for. But one of the hardest things to see is when women in my network are interviewing and just feeling so less than in the mm-hmm. process when I know this would be an amazing hire. Like this person is going to serve you in an amazing way. And yeah, they happen to have needs, like they're picking their kid up at three or whatever it is. So just knowing that if you really want a job and you are willing to be open about what your wants and needs are in the process, it will show up. Putting it out into the universe, what you truly want and need rather than getting the interview or getting the job and then trying to make what you want and need fit in and and like sort of like apologizing along the way. Once you secure it, so you feel safe, that can be really emotionally taxing process that I think is can be really hard to, to work out rather than sort of yeah. putting it out there. Now, there are things that I think you need to keep close to the vest sometimes for, for safety reasons and you'll know what they are. But I feel like I just exploded with that opinion, but I just feel so strongly that the more we can advocate for some of those very basic needs that working women have, the more there's an opportunity to become commonplace in these roles. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. I want to like give you a standing ovation on that, Matt, because I think you articulated it perfectly around we need to advocate for ourselves. The more women or moms who are advocate are asking these questions, the more companies are going to say like, okay, if we want this. this if we talent, want women. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, not even women. Like, if we want this talent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we need to think about, we need to think about how we are attracting and retaining talent. Attracting yeah. and retaining talent is a huge expense for companies. Totally. They want to do it right. So we need to be open about what we're looking for, asking those hard questions. And then companies are going to start to build policies or find ways to make it work. And companies are, I think that's another important point too, that the things that you're asking for are not too much. There are companies out there who are absolutely listening and who are doing this and are retaining people. So this is real stuff. It's not, it's not imaginary. I've heard from people who are working at these companies who they leave at two thirty, three o'clock and it's more around results than FaceTime. And mm-hmm. they've 
finish up their project, great, off you go. Or they are finding other ways to really support working parents. So it's out there. We just need to ask the questions to find it. Yeah. Amazing. Becca, before we wrap, we just want to ask our final question, which is what is your favorite form of self-care? Yeah. It's probably guilty pleasure, honestly, of like sitting and watching a funny sitcom. Right now yes. I'm working through like old episodes of Superstore. Marla likes that one. She's saying yes. I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so um, good. It. My it's so good. My friend texted me one day and she was like, I think this is your brand of humor. I love it so much. It's so good. And those like office comedy type of like workplace humor type of uh, shows I love. It's a good unwind for me. I'm not a big like massage person or like going to get my nails done. It's not really my jam. But more for everyone out there who it is like amazing. Go take care of you and find the thing that works for you. For me, yeah. it's like sitting down and, and laughing for 20 minutes and feeling good. Totally. Mm-hmm. Love that. Awesome. All right, Becca, this was an important conversation. Thank you for having it with us today. Tell us where we can send listeners to learn more about you or to connect. Yeah. So I would love to connect with, with all of you. You can find me at just my name, BeccaCarnahan.com. Uh, that is my website. You can find me on LinkedIn under my name as well. I post a ton on LinkedIn. So just find me under Becca Carnahan. And same thing actually over on Instagram too. Instagram's a little bit more of a um, mixed bag of posting some funny stuff, tapping into that sitcom, uh, loving side of myself, but some career stuff too. So just come come find me online. I have a free training on this these four steps that we talked through too. So if folks are interested in learning more about what that structure could look like for them, hop over to that free training. You can find it right on BeccaCardahan.com. Awesome. awesome. And you can find those links in the show notes. Thanks so much, Becca. Say cheers to life. No, I'll be no good man. Why? Yeah.